All right. The sermon today will be brought to you by your friendly Easter egg. I got a couple of comments when I came into church this morning. First and foremost was, oh, you must be preaching today. You got a coat on. Yeah, that's it. And the other one was, it's not Easter yet. What are you doing? So fair enough. Uh, had a Christmas present I had to show off, so we had to do what we had to do. Uh, I actually wore this uh, coat. Not I, I didn't go quite this pink. Uh, I was with a white shirt when I did a funeral this week for uh, our good friend Kirby, and I remarked that we were okay to wear bright colors to his funeral because it was a celebration, a happy time that we could all share together, and we were excited to be able to do that. But today uh, we're going to continue on with our, our series that uh, Jay started for us. It's uh, Life on Mission. Uh, based on the book by Tim Harlow, kind of taking some stuff out of that and uh, going with some different stuff there. Uh, just so everybody's aware, Jay will be back this Wednesday. I think he's coming back tomorrow evening, as a matter of fact, or we're hoping so. Uh, he got on a boat somewhere. I'm not sure how slow the boat was, how slow the boat was going. I'm not sure if it ends up in China or what, but allegedly it's a Disney cruise, so he should be excited. But they've been gone for about a week now. They went to Disney World, and then they went to uh, on this Disney cruise. I did get a text from him. I think that day was Thursday. Uh, it was later in the evening, about 8.30 or so, and he sent me a text with his stats on it. Uh, he had already walked 7.8 miles. Uh, I said, uh, how's the knee holding up? He said, uh, it's, it's working out. But he still had another theme park to go to, going to the Magic Kingdom Park till midnight that night. I said, man, you're going to make it to 11. You're going to make it to 11. So he sent me one the next morning. He didn't make it to 11. I, I don't know what's going on there. I'll have to work with that and see what he can do to get a little better. But what we're talking about today is uh, life on mission, and we want to focus on our time uh, today with, with the thought in mind of serving. So uh, let, let's talk about that real quick. The two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you found out why. So that was uh, attributed to our good friend Mark Twain. Uh, Mark Twain said it that way, and I think it's an interesting quote that we all need to look at. When we talk about being a life on mission and living our lives on mission, these are two important days in our lives. The two most important, Mark Twain says, and I tend to agree with him. The day we were born, because without that, we're not here. And the day we find out why, because without that, why are we here? So we're going to talk about that this morning. We're going to get into that a little bit. Uh, I want to talk to you uh, first and foremost. Uh, there was this uh, group of pastors out in the Colorado area, and they were talking with a mayor of a municipality out there. So they had come together with this mayor with the thought in mind of how can we better our community? How can we better serve our community? How can we make improvements to our community? So they sat down with the mayor and, and they, they went at it. They said, hey, you know, you know, uh, we, could, we could do the soup kitchen. Uh, we could have a tutoring service for kids in the afternoon so some troubled youth could come to the church. We could do all these things. What, Mr. Mayor, would you have us do? What do you think would be the best service that the churches could provide so that our community could strengthen and we could do some things that we've not done before? The answer that the mayor said really was a gut punch to these preachers. Uh, one preacher, in fact, was the one that was writing about this when I was reading about it. And he said that the mayor came back with a very simple truth that all of them should have known to start with. And that is that programs don't get anything done, relationships do. And so what the mayor said was, all I really need for you guys to do is go back to your churches and make sure to tell your people to be good neighbors. And that was it. It wasn't that we needed to have this new program or this new thing that we could serve our community so well with. All it was was simply put, let your people be good neighbors. Now, I don't know about y'all, but when I think of the word neighbor or good neighbor, 
The first person that comes in my mind is Mr. Rogers. So Mr. Rogers comes walking in, right? And every day he says, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Won't you be my neighbor? And the thing that Mr. Rogers always understood was it was important to be a good neighbor. One thing that, uh, that came out of his show, too, if you ever noticed, he would always sit down, crosses, I can't do this, it's kind of tough, but he crosses his legs and he starts untying his shoe. And he takes off his shoe and then he takes on and puts his other shoes on and he ties them up. And he takes so much time to do that. It was on purpose. I mean, if it were me and I were on a you know, big time TV show, I'm... I'm taking my shoes off and slinging them somewhere, and I'm picking up the little slip-ons. Or Actually, if I'm at my house, I'm not putting shoes back on. But that's what Mr. Rogers did, and he took his time, and he took his time with everybody. And what he gave was the gift of service to others, and he gave his gift of time. And that's how he proved that he was a good neighbor. Looking at the Scriptures, you know, Jesus thought that that was just as important to be a good neighbor. So let's look at Matthew, the 22nd chapter, starting with the first, uh, first verse there, 36, and going through 39. And it says there, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? You see, a lot of people in Jesus' time, they wanted to get down to the brass tacks, wanted to make things as simple as possible. So they just asked Him all kinds of questions, just trying to figure out what life was all about. This guy here, all he really wants to know all right, I, I hear you. I know there's four gazillion commandments back there in the Old Testament. I know there's 10 that are really important, but there's like 900 more in Leviticus. And, you know, I've read through all those and all that. That's good. Can you, can you boil it down to me? Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And so it goes on in verse 37. It says, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Now, remember, this guy just asked, What is the greatest commandment? Jesus answers with the greatest commandment. But then he expands a little bit. He says, this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, what Jesus understood and wanted to tell to this guy was it's quite simple for you to love the Lord your God. That's the easy thing to do because God loves us. We love Him. He loves us perfectly. We love Him imperfectly, but we're working on that every day. The hard part about this is if you're really going to love God, you have to love your neighbor. I remember this little bluegrass song, if you don't love God, you don't love your neighbor. All that kind of stuff. I'm not going to sing it for you. That was the best I could do. But the second one is like it. Love God, love your neighbor. You see, it's impossible to truly love God if you don't love your neighbor. It's impossible to love your neighbor if you don't love God. It's impossible to love your neighbor if you're not a good neighbor. This is how... We serve. This is how we live our lives on mission. We are good neighbors. That's what God has called us to be, is good neighbors. And in doing so, we will serve others. In Romans, the fifth chapter, verse 8, it tells us this, and this is how we find out how God serves us. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, Jesus Christ came to die for us. That was the largest service project ever known to man. God served us by sending His Son that while we were yet sinners, He would still die for us. In Matthew, the 20th chapter, verse 28, it says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus came in the world this first time not to be served, 
but to serve. And his ultimate service project was when he gave his life as a ransom for many. He gave his life on the cross for all of us so that his shed blood would cover us with his own righteousness. So that when God looks down on us, he doesn't look down on us and see the sinners for who we really are, but instead he looks at the covering that Jesus has poured out over us. He sees us as perfect because he made us perfect in Jesus' blood. That's how Jesus came to serve. So the question comes to mind, okay, well, that's great and all. I, I see how Jesus served us. I see how God served us by sending Jesus. I see how when we serve, we show our love for others. I see how when we serve, we're living our life on mission. And maybe that's why I'm here. But how do we do that? How are we good neighbors? You know, Jesus takes an opportunity in Luke, the 10th chapter, to tell us a story, and it's at the end of a line of questioning, and it's pretty interesting how this all shakes out. And I'll tell you the truth, when I read this passage of Scripture, each and every time I read it, I see something different in it. And this time I saw something a little different than I'd seen before, and I want to tell you about that. But Luke, the 10th chapter, starting with verse 25, in my Bible it says, The Parable of the Good Samaritan. So this is a real familiar passage for many of us that have grown up in the church and have been to church, and for many of us that have not been in the church it's just a good story that everybody has heard but it says this Luke 10 verse 25 on one occasion an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus all right did you did you hear that on one occasion an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus all right I, you know really I'd read that plenty of times before but I'd never really read it that way this guy is a lawyer that's what an expert in the law should be, right? He's either a lawyer or a judge, but most judges are lawyers, and that works out that way. And he wants to test Jesus. Not necessarily the best idea in the world. If you look through Scripture and find out all these opportunities that people have and give themselves to test Jesus, it usually doesn't work out too well for them. And it's not going to end up working out too well for this guy because he just can't leave well enough alone. But he asks the question, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Remember what we talked about it to start with. We have all these people in Scripture that come up to Jesus wanting to simplify things, make it real simple on them, make it real easy. What is it that I have to do? All right, I, you know, let's cut to the chase, Jesus. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus, like he often does, just kind of turns it around on him. He says, well, what is written in the law? In other words, in the back of his head, you know, saying, you're the expert here. What's written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? In other words, how do you interpret this law that we've put before you? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. So there it is. He's thrown it out there. Jesus is like, okay, well, good. So he says, you have answered correctly, Jesus replied. So he says you've answered correctly, and I think that's something important that all of us need to understand is knowing the right answer and answering correctly is very different than doing the right answer and doing correctly. And that's what Jesus points out to him right after that. He says, do this and you will live. In other words, I appreciate the fact that you know what we've told you you must do. Now do it. You know, we come to church all the time and we, we, we go to Sunday school, we come in here and we learn, we learn more about what God asks us to do. And, you know, a lot of us have those right answers always ready. Many, much fewer of us actually do what it says we're supposed to do. And that's the difference, right? And that's what Jesus is saying. Do this 
and you will live. So if that's not a gut punch enough for this guy, he says, hey, I, I think I want a little more. So in verse 29, he says, but he wanted to justify himself. All right, so first this guy wants to test Jesus. And secondly, he wants to justify himself. Now let's talk about justification for a minute. Justification to me is when you say, well, you know, I'm, I'm not really doing what I'm supposed to do, but I really wasn't supposed to do that. In other words, you know, I, I like helping these people over here because they're, they're kind of like me, you know, and, and they can probably pay me back when I try to help them. But, but, but these folks over here, they're not those people that I'm supposed to help. Or maybe it's, you know, I, I go to church all the time, yeah, pretty much, except for, you know, a couple of Sundays a, a month because, you know, I'm, I work hard during the week and I need to take a little time off. So Saturday's just not good enough for me. How about Sunday too? And we go through all these things and we say, you know, God understands. Yeah, God, God's a God of mercy and grace, so He'll understand. It's not a big deal if I miss this or if I don't do this that I'm called to do. And we try to justify ourselves. So that's what this guy's doing. He's already tested Jesus and Jesus answers him back and he really got off pretty easily because the worst thing that he got out of Jesus was do this and you will live. I mean, because Jesus says, hey, yeah, yeah, man, you're right on the right track. You've answered correctly. But then he says, do this and you'll live. He's like, okay, I got you. I, I need to get better. I need to do some more things. I, I understand. He couldn't leave well enough alone. He wanted to justify himself to say, okay, I'm doing it sometimes, but I'm not doing it other times. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, I've got to imagine, and it's not in Scripture here, but I'm just imagining Jesus now. Oh, yeah. You really want to go there? <laughs> you really want to know who your neighbor is? Because I have a feeling that you don't want to know, but <laughs> I'm all here. Here I go. You ask the question. I got to an answer. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Here's the thing about Jesus that I love too. I love a lot of things about Jesus, but I love this about him. He doesn't answer questions just so directly all the time. He kind of says, okay, well, I, I got you. Let me tell you a little story about this, and let's see what you feel about it. Let's see what you think about it after I tell this little story. Story time with Jesus. It's the parables. It's all these things that he got, has to give people. And, you know, the thing about it is when you answer directly someone, a lot of times there's this wall that's put up. It's like, oh, okay, wait, wait, wait. When you tell them a story, it draws them in. They're, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you tell me more? Can you tell me more? And then it gets to the end, and then that gut punch comes. like, oh, you got me. But that's the way Jesus interacts with his people. He tells them a story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho where he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So there's this guy. Right. All we know about him is he's just trying to travel somewhere. He's going from Jerusalem to Jericho. Next thing you know, these robbers come up to him. They steal, steal stuff from him. They strip him of his clothes, and they beat him half to death, and then they're done. That's all we know about this guy. We don't know if he was a good guy, a bad guy. We don't know if he was a right guy, a wrong guy. We know nothing else about him except he was just this dude that was walking from Jerusalem to Jericho, and then this bad things happened to him. If I'm that guy, and I'm laying in the ditch over here, and I see a priest come by, I'm thinking, all right, man, I'm, I'm about to get out of here. Help is on the way. I mean, that's the equivalent of an ambulance pulling up and being like, right, okay, we're good. All right, we're, we're going to go somewhere else. 
That's what happened when this priest came by. Now, it also doesn't say why the priest didn't stop. All it says is simply, he saw him and he went on his way. There's a book that a preacher wrote one time, and he was talking about this opportunity that he had to go to Minneapolis, Minnesota. And when he went to Minneapolis, Minnesota, he was supposed to give a lecture at a conference. So he gets in the taxi. Uh, he's, he's running right on time, so he doesn't need any distractions or anything to get there on time to be able to give his speech. And he's sitting in this taxi, and all of a sudden, this guy comes across the street. Looks like to be a, a drunk homeless kind of guy. That, that's kind of what this guy looks like. And he comes across the street, gets hit by a car, bam, falls over, and everything's stopped. So this preacher, not dressed too much dissimilar from me, he was looking all suave and debonair, had a brand new suit on. He sees this guy falling out. He sees this guy with blood everywhere. And the first thing that comes to mind is, I should go help this guy. But I don't want to. I got this brand new suit on. I am looking nice and clean. I don't need to go get blood on my suit. I don't need to get messy. I don't need to get involved with this. Maybe somebody else will come help him. And as the seconds go by, the minutes go by, and after he kind of took inventory of things, he would say it felt like more like hours and just time stood still for a while. He sees more people come up, but as they're coming up, he said, you know, I really don't need to help this guy. Hey, why is a drunk homeless guy walking out in the road in the middle of the day? That makes no sense. He shouldn't have done that. He deserves what he gets. I'm going to be okay. I've got to get up here and give my speech. I got to do this for the church. Finally, he thought to himself and he said, Man, how terrible of a person am I? So he gets out of the taxi cab and he starts making his way there. But by then, all kinds of people had come to help and they had taken care of the situation. So he got back in the cab, went on about his business, and gave his speech on showing compassion to others. In retrospect, after he thought about things and put everything in perspective, he said, how terrible of a person I've become. Maybe that's what happened with the priest as he walked by. Maybe in his mind he had something that he had to do. Maybe he was dressed inappropriately to go help. Maybe there were all kinds of things going on that caused him to justify himself to say, you know what, I don't need to help this man. But it doesn't tell us that here. And it doesn't tell us that here because it just doesn't matter. So the guy's laying there half dead. The priest goes by. And then verse 32 will pick up there. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So a Levite's like kind of like the second in command, right? You got this priest that goes by. The Levites were in, in charge of the temple, that, that group of people, those brothers. They were supposed to take care of the temple, so they're kind of like associate priests, you know? So if the priest doesn't help me, I know that the Levite, when he comes by, he's going to take care of things. But the Levite comes by, sees him, and passes by on the other side, as if to say, I see you, but I don't. Let me go on about my business. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now let's make sure everybody's aware of what it means to be a Samaritan in this story. 
So you got a priest, you got a Levite. These guys are on the upper echelon, upper crust folks. I mean, these are the churchgoers. These are the religious people. These are the good guys, right? These are the folks that we should respect, we should honor. These are the folks that we should expect to do the right thing all the time. And these Samaritans, oh man, they're terrible people. In the Jewish culture, Samaritans were looked at as half-breeds, okay? They were looked at as lower-class citizens, people that you didn't want to be around, people you didn't want to deal with, people that you just didn't want to hang out with at all. It would be better if they just weren't there. So there's where Jesus' gut punch comes in. It's like, hey, but, you know, these two bad, good guys came by, they didn't do anything, but, man, this Samaritan, <laughs> you know who a Samaritan is. Yeah, that guy, he did the right thing. It says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. See, his reaction was so much different than the priest and the Levite. The priest and the Levite decided they didn't have time to tend to what they needed to tend to. They didn't have time to serve. They didn't have time to live their life on the mission that God gave them, which was to serve their fellow man. Instead, they had to be about their business, whatever it might have been. This Samaritan who was a half-breed, a person that of ill repute, somebody that nobody would give any respect to, he did the unexpected. He came by and he showed compassion on this man. Not only did he just show compassion on him, but he went into action with him. It would have been real simple for the Samaritan to come by and just pray for him and walk on, just like James talks about in his, uh, in his passage where he talks about, you know, it's, it's not okay to do that. We don't just pray and go on about our business. We need to help others. It says that when he got there, he took pity on him and he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So not only did he just stop and have compassion on the guy, but he went out of his way to serve the guy, to give him what he needed and it cost him something you see when we serve others it's going to cost us something it might cost our time it might cost our money it might cost our dignity it might cost our brand new suit whatever it is it's going to cost you something because it's a sacrifice to serve others but that is exactly what the samaritan did that's exactly what god calls us to do and he asked this question after he gets through telling this story and he asked the guy who wanted to test him he asked the guy who wanted to justify himself and he says it this way he says which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers. And he lets the guy tell him the right answer. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Again, he had the right answer. And again, Jesus tells him, go and do likewise. You see, Jesus doesn't leave this alone with okay, I'm glad we got to the point where we all are on the same page and we all understand the right answers. He issues a challenge to him, an ultimatum. He says, go and do likewise. Folks, that's what God's telling all of us to do, to go and do likewise. It's not enough for us to understand what He's calling us to do and listen to Him and, and just have that written down. He's telling us to go. He's telling us to do likewise. He's telling us to take care of things when we see Him. What we see depends mainly on what we look for. 
What we need to be is a people that are about looking for opportunities to serve others. And we need to take care of those opportunities every chance we get. And God's not asking you to do something you're not equipped for. This Samaritan, all he did was anything that anybody with any kind of common sense would do. He just took care of the man. And he got him to a place where he could be taken care of further. He didn't ask him to do surgery with a ballpoint pen or anything. He didn't ask him to do any of that stuff. All he asked him to do is show compassion and take care of what you can. So he grabs him up. He, he bandages him up a little bit like anybody would. And he carries him to an innkeeper so his wounds could be tended to. So someone could tend to him. And he takes care of the bill. It's very simple. You know, the Bible tells us that we have good works that are put in front of us that were designed for us to do before we were born. God set it in motion and laid it out that way for us. So we have opportunities that we come to every day of the week. And the old saying goes, and twice on Sunday, it happens like that. You have opportunities to serve. And you never know where they're going to come from, but you have to keep your eyes open so you see what it is. One thing that we have a problem with that I'm reading through this and, and, and I think through is a lot of people that need to be served, that need help, they struggle to go get help from the same people that they should get help from. And that's what happens right here. It should be easy that they should expect the priest, they should expect the Levite, they should expect us Christians to be able to help. But they don't. They don't trust us sometimes. Why is that? I don't know. I'll tell you a quick little story. There was this man. He was riding in this wagon, and he had his mule in front of him. He had his dog sitting next to him. So they're pulling out on the road, and all of a sudden, this big transfer truck, bam, runs into him. Boom. Dog goes flying. Mule goes flying. Guy goes flying. Wagon comes over. So the guy ends up pinned kind of under the wagon. The dog ends up in one ditch, leg badly injured. Mule's over there with his leg badly injured. I mean, it's a bad situation. All of a sudden, the sheriff comes up. Oh, man, what, what's going on? What's going on? First person he comes to is the dog. He sees the dog. He can't move. Everything's just real bad. He takes out his pistol. Bam. Takes care of the dog. Dog doesn't need to suffer anymore. Fine. Goes over to the mule. Checks out the mule. The mule can't get up, can't do anything. Can't talk to him. Can't do whatever he's supposed to do. Same thing happens. Sheriff pulls out his pistol. Bam. Kills the mule. Puts him out of his suffering. Goes, finally finds the guy up under the wagon. He said, man, are you okay? Never felt better. Never felt better. <laughs> We're okay. We're okay. Because he had seen what had happened to the mule and the dog, or the mule and the dog, he didn't want to complain about a thing because he saw what happened when they couldn't take care of themselves. The sheriff was the man who absolutely could help him out, but he was scared to divulge the information to say, "I need your help." Might be scared of the help he was about to get. Isn't that like us a lot of times? Isn't that like a lot of folks out? that are outside the four walls of the church, they're scared to tell the church of what they need. They're scared to be able to talk, to open up, to be able to say, hey, I need you guys to serve me this way because maybe, maybe, we, maybe we talk badly about them after we find out about it. Maybe we're not discreet in the way we handle things when we're trying to help out. Maybe we're after our own credit. You know, yeah, I did this to help this person. Man, that's not what it's about. The left hand's not supposed to know what the right hand's doing. It's supposed to just take care of things. Maybe they just don't think they can trust us to solve their problems the way that they should be solved through Jesus Christ. I don't know what the reason is, but I do know this. From a track record, that's how we're judged for how we serve. 
People won't come ask you for help unless they know that you can help. People won't ask you for help if they know you've already hurt. And that's the thing that we need to work towards when we're living our lives on mission. If we're living our lives on mission, we serve beyond a shadow of a doubt. We take care of things no matter what. Whatever the cost is, we might count the cost and figure out what it is, but we take care of what we need to take care of. We do what we can to help. Just like the Scripture says with the Good Samaritan, which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers? The one who had mercy on him. He was the good neighbor. He was the good neighbor who showed love and who served someone else because he loved God. And that's got to be the why for all of us. A lot of us do a lot of good things for a lot of good people, for a lot of bad people too. You know, not once in this story does it tell us what really happened or what really went wrong as far as the guy was concerned. Like I said, whether it was a good guy or a bad guy, the problem is it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter what they've done. It doesn't matter if it's their own fault for the getting to where they are. The situation is that they are where they are. As the church, we're supposed to go meet them. We're supposed to go meet them and teach them who Jesus is. And then when they find that out, that'll all get sorted out that way. Go and do likewise. The two most important days in your life, the day you were born and the day you found out why. Hopefully before now, but maybe it is now, that you found out that why you were born was to serve. If we're going to live our lives on mission, we're going to be ready to serve any and everyone that we come into contact with. That's what God's called us all to do. Every chance we get, every opportunity we get, we're going to serve others in love. Let us pray. Father, we're thankful today. We're thankful that we have been shown such a good example of what service really looks like. We're thankful that you've shown us that everyone is our neighbor. No matter if they're like us or if they're totally different. What we come into contact with is part of your creation. Part of the number of people that you sent your son to die for. Father, let us take heed to that warning and let us understand that we are to serve others, that we're to live our life on mission, and that you called each and every one of us to serve in one way or another. Let us take every opportunity that's presented to us to show your love to others in service so that we can bring them into your house and bring them into a loving relationship and a saving relationship with you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.